I've been very fixated on geography lately. Geography in the simplest sense, too. And I've just been interested in the idea of places I've lived, places I live, whatever it is, uh, in different time periods. And that's probably come across in recent episodes, just this kind of preoccupation with, uh, you know, time machines and nostalgia and traveling, uh, sort of treating it like a documentary, treating familiar sites with this almost documentary eye. And part of that is just the simple geography of it. And sometimes I think about where I'm at. I'll be in a location, a city, a town. And I think about how so much of where I am is defined and named. And it's not just that the whole area has a name. Everything is named. It's, it's not just the county. You know, it's not just the city. It's not just the streets. You know, everything has a name. But as a whole, we think of, oh, this town has this kind of feel or flavor, this kind of culture, when it's all very arbitrary. Oh, it was close to the waterway. It was uh, in an area, we didn't have to clear that many trees to build here. You know, we didn't, you know, the land was agreeable to what we wanted to do. And what we wanted to do, we wanted to build houses, man. We wanted to settle down here. This looks like a good lot of land. Well, if we're going to live here, we got to name it. That's what happened. Lewis and Clark, people who were on the whole Lewis and Clark expedition, like they hit different places. And some of those people were like, I want to stay right here. I want to stay right here and I want to name it. And I want to name it after me. Or maybe someone else named it after that person. I was thinking recently about my hometown, Kirkland, and how... I think most people just take for granted, <laughs> they just take it for granted that, that it's called Kirkland because it's a generic, boring, I mean, that sounds like as generic of a town name as you can possibly get. Oh, hey, we need a name for this TV show. It's just got to be a suburban town, you know, what are we going to name it? Kirkland, okay, that's great. People won't think about it too much. It, it sounds like a town. But it was named after a guy named Peter Kirk who wanted to make Kirkland the Pittsburgh of the West. He had a dream of making it uh, a town of industry, of steel, I believe, hence Pittsburgh. Now, he wanted to make it the Pittsburgh of the West just culturally. It had nothing to do with industry or steel. He just thought, you know, it'd be really cool if there were people that kind of seemed like they were from Pittsburgh and they lived right in here, but uh, they're, not, they're not from Pittsburgh. That's the twist. That's the twist. That's why it's the Pittsburgh of the West. No, but he wanted to turn it into a steel town, and it ended up being a tech town. You know, it was a small town until it became a tech town. And you're now listening to the history of Kirkland, Washington. It's a new podcast I'm doing. Uh, but anyway, just the fact that the town is called Kirkland is named after a guy named Peter Kirk, who you would never think about. You would never think about the fact that a guy was named Peter Kirk... Yet the town was branded after him, you know, it was named after him, and I believe he was the one who named it. But I had an elementary school named Peter Kirk. My school was called Peter Kirk Elementary. So this guy's name, you know, it wasn't just a one-use thing. You know, we weren't like, oh, we named the town after him, we gotta stop. That's, that's enough, you know, we named the town after him, 
we just got to stop. You know, that's enough use of the name Kirk, Kirkland. We were like, well, why don't we name the school, the elementary school after him? Because the junior high and high school, you know, uh, the junior high is already called Kirkland Junior High. So, you know, that's got his name in it, too. But let's call the let's call the elementary school not Kirkland Elementary School. Let's just call it Peter Kirk. Let's bring that Peter in there. Let's bring that first name in. So I knew very well who Peter Kirk was because you know it was my school. It was my town. There was even a convenience store, a one-off convenience store downtown when I was growing up, just called Peter K's. So they really went for some variation uh, between Kirkland. Peter Kirk Elementary, Peter K's for the convenience store. And that's an interesting combination of things that all utilized the Kirk name. You know, oh, we got to name three things after him. We got to name three things. The town, the elementary school, and the convenience store. Because what else do you need? You know, what else do you need? I can't think of anything else. Oh, Peter Kirk Park. There was also a park. Uh, so, you know, this guy, you know, his name got around. They branded the whole town after this guy's name, but you would never think about it. You would never think about this guy being some kind of, you know, notable figure in history. But yet that was just, it was, an, you know, a little block of geography, a block of land, and this guy set up shop, and he, I believe he named it himself. I believe he did. I don't believe it was named after him after the fact, but that's possible too, because that happens too, because someone will settle a place and someone else is like, well, you know, people are living here now, and uh, uh, what are we going to name it? Uh, what about that one guy? You know, let's name it after that one guy, that guy who got here first, or that guy who we think is really cool. That's another part of it. He's like, this guy, he was really involved. Everybody knows this guy. Let's just name it after him. The reasons why you name something after someone, naming something after someone, convenience stores. I do love the idea of one-off convenience stores. We have a couple in the town I live in now in the city. Uh, one is just called Frog Pond. You know, I like seeing that. And it's painted green. I've been there once. You know, it's not like I give this place my business, but I like uh, privately owned convenience stores and I think we should do more to encourage those kinds of local businesses. Everything has to be boutique -y. Everything has to be boutique spelled B-E-A-U-T-I-K-I. -E <laughs> no, but as in boutique. Everything has to be very boutique these days or craft. I mean, People have been criticizing that for years, the whole craft trend. I don't have a problem with it, but, you know, there's just, there's a certain aesthetic that people go for with boutique and craft sort of businesses, when really it's like just running a fucking corner store. In some places they call them bodegas. They don't call them that here. And if you call them that here, uh, I'll say, what the hell is a bodega? Is that like Peter K's? Uh, but yeah, those sorts of stores, I think we should do more to encourage, uh, you know, small ones. Just because of the names. I don't give a shit about actually supporting local small businesses. I think we just need to support them so that they have unique names. We can find things out through the names of convenience stores. Someone might have come to Kirkland back when Peter K's still existed and said, you know, uh, who is this Peter K? Does he own the store? Who is this Peter K? Why not just Peter? And they'd be like, oh, well, Peter Kirk was actually the man who, you know, 
was trying to make the Pittsburgh of the West. And I won't tell you that story all over again, but you, know, you can just find things out. You could find that out just by going to a convenience store and wondering about the name. So the idea of convenience stores not only being uniquely named, but also serving as education centers, which they absolutely are. I mean, so many of my formative experiences happened in convenience stores. You know, the, uh, the search for a Slurpee, you know, that just going into a 7-Eleven for a Slurpee, there's that experience, that singular fucking American experience, you know, the things you can learn just doing that. I mean, even here in this town, uh, it wasn't Peter Kay's, but at a shell station, I remember a guy with one arm running in late one night. And his sleeve was tacked to his shoulder, but so he clearly had one arm. And he's he runs in the store after another guy, and he says, like, I'm going to stab you in the neck, motherfucker. And it was just vicious. And, like, it sounded like that's absolutely what this man was about to do. With his one arm, it sounded like he was going to use that one arm to stab this other guy in the neck. But the cashier didn't react, and I'm just looking wide-eyed, and nothing happened. You know, whatever dispute these guys were having, the second they walked into that convenience store, it went away. I'm not going to say it went away. I think those guys were still going to have problems that night, sooner rather than later. But the second they walked into that store, it was like this equalizer. They were probably getting beer. I don't know what they were getting. They were probably getting Slurpees. Who am I to judge? Who am I to assume and judge? Uh, they were probably getting Slurpees, you know, and the second they walked into that store, it was like, oh, yeah, I got to use my one arm for something and it's not going to be stabbing this guy in, in the neck. I mean, I imagine it would be extremely difficult to get yourself a Slurpee with one hand. You'd, you'd get good at it after a while, but I imagine it would be very difficult. But beyond that, those guys I think knew, those guys that I saw for one night who were potentially going to stab each other, those guys, you know, knew that the convenience store was a sacred place. And that's why the guy didn't stab the other guy in the neck. Slurpees had nothing to do with it. It was because they knew it was a sacred place, a place of education, you know, not the, you know, it wasn't a unique one. I have to clarify that. It wasn't a uniquely named convenience store, but it was still a place of education. And I'm sure I've talked about this before, but the there was a place growing up, I guess it was a it was a privately owned corner store that had the best fucking Slurpees because they weren't Slurpees. They were actually Pepsi brand. And I've always been more of a Pepsi drinker. Not anymore, but growing up I was much more of a Pepsi drinker than a Coke drinker. You know, take from that what you will. But this place had what were called Pepsi Freezes. And they were just like a Slurpee, but they had a little more... I felt like they were less runny. A little more crisp. There's something more refreshing about them. It might have just been the Pepsi, though. As you know, I'm biased, but they had Pepsi Freezes. Oh, it's called Zip Market. How fucking great is that? Zip. Z-I-P. Market. I used to love going to Zip Market, and they had a comic rack. When you walked in the door, it was a comic book rack that spun. It was a circular, tall comic book rack. And I was going through some old comics of mine the other day, looking to sell them, which is just a fucking headache. I sold a bunch of comics last year, and 
Like even, I don't know, you gotta kind of sell them in bulk. Like even like number one issues of Deadpool or whatever else, you know? Like those things don't even sell for that much. I don't know if I'm just not good at selling them, but I was amazed at what little, you know, how much, like what little money you actually make from selling comic books on eBay in 2018. Uh, even, you know, like I said, like I had like number one issues, Uncanny X-Men, you know, a lot of these 90s comics. But what happened in the 90s with comic books is very similar to what happened in the 90s with baseball cards, which is companies started, you know, mass producing them. That's one thing. There were, first of all, a lot of different brands mass producing a lot of cards of virtually every player. And then the cars, there were a lot of cards that were like, they were made to be desirable by design. I like the way that sounds, desirable by design. But there were a lot of those where there were cards that were desirable by design. They were, they knew that comics and whatever else, cards, Marvel cards, baseball cards, they knew that those things had developed this very niche collector market. And even aside from that, the idea of collecting them, the idea of collecting those things or having rare ones had kind of bridged outside of that niche and it had become something that even just regular people, you know, were into. It was like every little boy is trying to get a baseball card collection or a Marvel card collection if he's a nerd. And so the, the result is they basically killed their own market, you know, by trying to... I don't know, they just tried to control it too much. And they tried to cash in, you know, while it was hot. But then, when it, it's, it's just like the Beanie Babies thing. I mean, it's what happens with everything. It's not just macho shit like baseball cards and comic books. It's also, it's exactly what happened with the Beanie Baby stuff. And I saw this little mini documentary a couple years ago that some college student made about how his dad had uh, planned to bankroll all of his kids' college education by investing in Beanie Babies. And his kids are all grown now, but he still has a basement with this shelving system just filled with Beanie Babies, because now, you know, he probably couldn't even sell them for what he paid for them, you know what I mean? And so the kid was just showing how his dad basically was like, this is the new hot thing. And that's what everybody did, though, with anything that was collectible. Because in the 90s, you had all these little, you know, collectible shops. Shops filled with collectibles. Even the word collectibles. You know, that was, that's a very 90s word. But companies became aware of it. And they, you know, basically... I don't know. I mean, I, this, I've been going on about the same point for like 10 minutes. Uh, basically, they killed their entire market. They killed their own market. And why am I talking about baseball cards and comics? I know I was talking about trying to sell them on eBay. Uh, I was talking about towns. <laughs> uh, the comic book rack in 7-Eleven. Uh, you know, just going in and like having that sort of experience. Don't have too much more to say about 7-Elevens or anything like that. But it was a place you could go. You could go check out the magazines, not even the dirty magazines, which I don't remember seeing. You know, I don't remember ever seeing dirty magazines, even behind the counter until I was a little bit older. Maybe I just had eyes for other things in the store. Or it was just sacred to me. Maybe going into a convenience store to me, you know, had nothing to do with wanting to find like the dirty magazines. Maybe that was a big part of it too. 
I was just like, you know, this isn't the place for that. This is a place for Slurpees and learning. Slurning, man. This is a place of slurning. Stupid joke. Very stupid joke. But just being able to go into a place like that and feeling like it's the most dime a dozen store you could possibly imagine, a convenience store. The most generic, like, you're gonna be able to find the same thing at almost every store, although I have to say it's weird when you don't. When you go into a convenience store and they have like nothing, you're just like, what the hell is this place? You know, it's like they don't have every brand of candy in this store, what's wrong with it? But you do find those, and those are usually owned by a, you know, those are usually privately owned convenience stores too, the ones that don't seem to have anything. And you're just like, how is this a convenience store? But for the most part, you know exactly what logos you're gonna see. That's what I mean. You go into a convenience store, you know exactly what logos you're gonna see. You know what colors are in there. Doesn't matter what convenience store, you know exactly what colors are in there. It's, you would think the most boring place on earth. You wanna zip in and zip out, hence the zip market, well named. But no, it's actually, you go in there and you learn something. At least you used to. I don't go to convenience stores as much as I used to, but I saw that one that I used to go to here and it was empty for years. The entire gas station closed down. It was fenced off, roped off. And what was unique about that convenience store is they used to have this really good local beef jerky. And you could buy this absolutely massive bag that I would naturally eat throughout one evening. Just tons of beef jerky. Oh God, it, it was seriously like a torso of beef jerky, like a half a torso. Hey, I'd like to get half a torso. It's a good measurement, half a torso. You never want to get the full torso. Uh, but anyway, that, that place, and then they closed down and they were fenced off for years. And I just, I, I would see that place and I was like, I guess, you know, nobody's getting any half torsos no more. Nobody's allowed to get those half torsos from the convenience store. But no, it was closed down. I saw recently that it, it's reopened, and I believe it's a new brand. But it's nice to see. There's some places that, even if I don't have any business there, even if there's nothing I want to buy anymore at most convenience stores, I feel the same way about them as I do pizzerias, where I always feel, I don't know, just a little bit happy when I see a convenience store or I see a pizzeria. I'd have to think about other places like that. Strip mall comic shops. Anytime I still see a comic book shop in a strip mall, a mom and, uh, a mom and pop comic shop, and is there really any other kind? I don't know. Uh, mom and pop. Uh, that business is owned by a young single man. There's nothing mom and pop about it. No, but seeing like a strip mall comic book shop or really any kind of strip mall specialty shop. Uh, strip mall specialty shops are awesome. And, you know, it's the same sort of thing I was talking about with convenience stores, going to the video store growing up. Going to strip malls where there was actually something you desire. <laughs> something you actually desired at a strip mall. You know, it's that sort of feeling. That's the sort of feeling that convenience stores give me. Or when you're on, you're on a road trip and you stop by a convenience store too. That's that same sort of feeling. There's something sacred about it. And it's not just that you've found a place to go to the restroom. 
there's something actually sacred about going in there and uh, it's sort of like that idea though it's like you go in there and you know exactly what you're gonna see you know exactly what colors are gonna be there and if it's a 7-eleven you know kind of where the slurpee machine is gonna be it's like the water cooler of 7-eleven the slurpee machine and if you go in there and it's broke I'm not gonna say your day's ruined but there's a higher chance of it there's a higher chance of a day ruining if you go in and the slurpee machine is broke I remember going to a 7-eleven when I was in high school and we were looking for because I mean I only ever wanted the coke slurpee I knew kids who were you know they'd always get the cherry They'd always go for the other flavor or they'd mix them up, but I, I wanted that Coke Slurpee. I'm not going to mess with it. I want just that classic recipe, that original recipe. Uh, but we went to a 7-Eleven and the Coke one was broken. The cherry wasn't. And so we left because my hometown had like 10 7-Elevens like a block away from each other. Which is very similar to the setup in Korea, which I'll get into in a sec. But so we just drove down the street to another 7-Eleven and got the Coke Slurpee. But what was funny is we saw a cop come into the 7-Eleven and then he left a second later empty-handed and then we saw him down at the next 7-Eleven and he got a Coke Slurpee. So, we, you know, us and the cop, these stone teenagers and the cop, same people. Same page, same people. We were after that Coke Slurpee. And you know, I was talking earlier about a guy running into a convenience store with one arm threatening to stab his friend in the neck. And he calmed down and it was sacred to him once he entered through those doors. And I think it's the same thing with cops, you know. I think that uh, police officers go into convenience stores and everybody's equal. Everybody just wants that original recipe, you know, Coke flavor Slurpee. Cops, one-armed men, teenagers, people who fit all of the above, that one-armed teenage cop out there who, if he's not listening, this is the show for you, buddy. This is the show for you. Oh, and just a quick addendum, because I said I was going to talk about it and I forgot. But in Korea, they have 7-Elevens everywhere. I felt like there was, if there's a block, let's say it's a square block in Korea, on each corner, all four corners, you're going to find a 7-Eleven or a Dunkin' Donuts. Or a little of both. I seriously feel like there were some streets that had like eight Dunkin' Donuts and like ten 7-Elevens on them. But the real twist, the real Twilight Zone type twist, is that none of the 7-Elevens in South Korea had Slurpee machines. You could get sushi and like weird packaged tentacles. Maybe that's not true. No, I feel like you could get something like that. <laughs> but you couldn't get Slurpees, and that's a fact. I didn't see a single Slurpee machine. And so in that way, it was sort of like a Twilight Zone episode. It's as if I were like, you know what? I'm so sick of everything. I just wish there was only 7-Elevens. I wish the only stores in the world were 7-Elevens, that there were four on every block. And then I wake up one day and I'm in that world, but then I go in and there's no Slurpee machines. It's like the guy, the bookworm episode of Twilight Zone, the guy who, you know, his dream is for the world to have no people and for the world just to be books for him to read. And then he wakes up and he ends up breaking his glasses, famous Twilight Zone episode. That's sort of what Korea is like if books were Slurpees. 
There's 7-Elevens everywhere, not a Slurpee machine to be found. You probably couldn't even find the parts. Even if you found the schema or the plans to make a Slurpee machine yourself, they probably don't even have the parts. Someone already tried it, man. Peter K did. Peter K came here and he tried to build his own Slurpee machine and even he couldn't do it. But that is a good tie-in because Peter K's, the place that was in downtown Kirkland, did have its own Slurpee machine. Just like the Zip Market had its own Pepsi Freeze machine, which I preferred, Peter K's had its own variant of the Slurpee machine, and I don't believe that it was Slurpee branded. Just like the store name being unique, Peter K's, I believe that their version of the Slurpee was unique too. But I didn't like it. That's the thing. I preferred the Zip Market Pepsi Freeze. Whatever it was that Peter K's had going on, you know, that might have cut it when Kirkland was still the Pittsburgh of the West. But when I was growing up, you know, we went to Zip Market for the Pepsi Freeze. They didn't have this they didn't only have the Slurpee machine, they had the parts to build their own. Cause see, convenience stores are the gardens of every town. And you don't have a town until you have a convenience store. And you don't have a, con a true convenience store until you got some kind of Slurpee machine. I'm not going to ask for the best. There was a point in time where all Kirkland had was Peter K's and his self-made Slurpee machine. You want to talk about industry? You want to talk about the Pittsburgh of the West? Think about Peter K making his own Slurpee machine in his convenience store that he probably didn't even own and probably wasn't around when he was alive, which makes it really impressive. But think about a convenience store like a garden. I talked earlier about you, you know what colors to expect. You know, when you go inside a convenience store, you know what colors are gonna be on the racks. You know, you know what you know, colors and, and logos you're gonna end up seeing. So it's kind of like a garden where you know the exact color of the flowers. You're like, I don't know the names of flowers, so this, just lost all its steam, but uh, <laughs> this has lilies and tulips. That's what you think when you go into a grocery store, a convenience store. Excuse me. Excuse me, not a grocery store. Grocery stores almost never have anything resembling a Slurpee machine. They're large. They cause a lot of anxiety. If you get anxiety in a convenience store, you at least know that it's your problem. You know, it's not the convenience store's fault. You know it's yours, or you will someday when you're ready to accept the truth. But, you know, to those of us who are a little bit more enlightened, to those of us who are a little more enlightened, a convenience store is a fucking garden. And that doesn't mean you're going to pick the flowers. You don't need to buy that uh, yellow bag of peanut M&Ms just because it's bright and yellow. Just because it's a yellow bag of M&Ms don't mean you got to pick it. You know, you don't gotta go to a garden and pick out all the flowers. Pick the flowers. You don't have to go to 7-Eleven and buy all the candy. But you do gotta treat it kinda like a garden. And you will. Because the second you walk through those doors, you're hit with something. You're hit with some kind of sacred energy. And if a town doesn't have a Slurpee machine, I question whether or not it's a town. Maybe a settlement. Maybe a settlement. And if a Slurpee machine shows up, well, at least we know where the town center is. And that's one thing I'll say about my trip to Korea. It's weird going to a country where there's no towns. 
land is mine God gave this land to me This brave, this golden land to me And when the morning sun Reveals her hills and plains I see a land where children can run free 